lot of programs. We could have a lot of defense. We could maintain Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. And we wouldn't have to raise taxes. And now we have a crushing debt, a growing deficit, and everybody's on George's case. Brothers and sisters, that's dishonest. There's something dishonest about blaming the liar because you also believe the lie. Our culture refuses to accept responsibility. And we see it in the electoral process. Don't be, go don't be blaming the politicians in Washington, brothers and sisters. Don't be blaming the system. Don't be blaming politics. Like Pogo, we have met the enemy, and the enemy is us. You get what you pay for. When we live in a world without truth and without hope, and we start believing lies out of our own desire to believe the only good news, then when it doesn't happen, we become more and more susceptible to the person who will come, I'll fix it. Just get me in there. I'll fix it. Don't worry about the details. I'll fix it. Now, it's not Ross Perot's fault that he is such a phenomenon this year. But that phenomenon is a sign of how, how little space there is between the surface of our public life and the spirit of demagoguery giving ourselves to anyone who will be a Messiah, giving ourselves to anyone who won't make us face the facts and they'll just fix it. Are we doing that? Are we part of the problem or are we taking our cues from the Scriptures and trying to be part of the solution by the power of Christ? <clears throat> Spoiled spouse syndrome. The next problem is what I call the great American disconnect. The great American disconnect has to do with the relationship between you and your elected representative, members of Congress, senators. Ever wondered why when people leave and after the election they go off to Washington, they don't do what they say they're going to do, or what you thought they said they were going to do? They don't seem to listen to what the uh, voters had to say? Ever wonder why that happens? Who are they listening to? Ross is right. They listen to the guys wearing alligator shoes, walking down the halls with the money hanging out of their pockets. It's a special interest. There's more connection between what the special interests want and do and what actually comes out in policy than there is between how you vote. It's the great American disconnect between election and governance. Brothers and sisters, elections, at least the national level, let me submit to you. Elections are frauds. There's very little connection between what you vote for and what you get. If you really want to have an impact, if you really want to make a difference in governance, in policy, join a special interest group. Contribute money. And then when you get the telephone call or the postcard in the mail to write your congressman or your senator because uh, S1935 is not before the Congress, and got, here's a little form letter, write it. If you do that, you're going to have a lot more impact on policy than if you go vote. And there are a lot of reasons for that. 
But part of the reason is that people become cynical. They yuck out and they say, hey, there's no connection anymore between the vote and between the policy. I think I'll drop out. You know, when the president, when President Bush won in a landslide last, last time, less than half of the eligible electorate voted. And less than 30% of the eligible electorate voted for George Bush. Less than 30% of the eligible electorate voted for a president who won in a landslide. Fewer and fewer people voting. And why shouldn't they? They realize the great American disconnect. And cynicism runs wild. And so we have the Ross Perot phenomenon. A culture without truth and without hope leads to a politics of a spoiled spouse that becomes vulnerable to the demagogue and the politics of the great disconnect with increasing irrelevance of elections. Sometimes I wonder we are, whether we're witnessing the death of American democracy. I'm serious. I think our body politic has a cancer and it's dying. Now, if we believe what Majesty saying, that with the power of Christ is even stronger when we are powerless, we should be driven back into the Scriptures and back into the arms of Christ and say, Lord, how can we be faithful witnesses in this situation? How can we be your disciples, authentic Christians, in our public life as well as our private life, in a situation in which we find ourselves? What has been the Christian response? It should be, like Daniel, to be able to tell Nebuchadnezzar, selfishness and self-centeredness is going to lead to loss of your own humanness. We ought to be able to read the signs of the times. We ought to be able to discern the spirits of our age. At least to see, to acknowledge, to name the idols of power and pride that are destroying American public life. But what has been the church's response? Well, it seems to me that we've fallen more typically into the patterns of this world. How has the Christian right responded? Just one example. In Mississippi, the Christian coalition uh, used to be uh, the group that was uh, organized for Pat Robertson's campaign, now is independent, but there is still some sense that this may be uh, his effort to try to uh, take over the Republican Party for his own run for the presidency in four years. In Mississippi, the Christian Coalition is in league and has cut a deal with the followers of David Duke to take over the Republican Party parish by parish. One of the signs of that was at the state convention this past year as they were electing delegates to go to the National Republican Convention. The general po policy was to elect delegates who had won, that represented the uh, group that had won in the primary, committed to the candidate who had won the primary. But this coalition offered a resolution under the guise of party building to elect uncommitted delegates to the Republican Convention. There are 
several reasons for that. One of the reasons was to begin to lessen, to begin building support for uh, Robertson and to lessen commitments to the president and to try to begin to take away some of the influence of local Republican leaders in the state. It lost by four votes. The chairman of the Republican Party in Mississippi is a Christian, and he realized how destructive, if that uh, thing had passed, how destructive it would have been to the uh, continued viability of the Republican Party in Louisiana. And he went to the leader of the coalition, and he said to that leader, how dare you offer a resolution under the guise of party building when you know very well it could have destroyed this party? And the response was, God wants Robertson to be president. And anything we do to make that happen is his will. One of our students was uh, interviewing a leading official in one of the national campaigns, talking about right and wrong in politics. And that official said, what's right or wrong in Washington depends on how it affects your party. Brothers and sisters, do you see any difference between Christians organizing in Mississippi and this statement in Washington, D.C.? Are we falling to the patterns of this world? Are we falling victim to the idolatry of power? The Christian left, Jim Wallace, editor of Sojourners, was one of a series of speakers we had in our classroom this year talking about the election. Many of you know he is considered by some to be a representative of the evangelical left. He works closely with ecumenical church groups. <clears throat> and he was uh, sharing some of his experiences in working with those ecumenical groups. And the more he works with them, these are mainstream denominational groups, he realizes that they have less concern for actually helping the poor in the cities where Jim has given his life than having access to the halls of power. They are supporting the Democratic ticket. They are supporting Democratic programs and policies so they can have access to the powerful. Whether it's the right or the left, the Christian church too often worships at the same idols of our world. We must turn from that idolatry. The first duty of believers is to say yes to God. The second duty is to say no to idols. And we haven't even got the spiritual insight too often to be able to name the idols, to be able to see them. Why are you here at this college? Do you see yourself being here at this college so when you get out you can get a good, gra a good job? So you can get on with your life and have what you'd like and collect things for your life? This is not, your college education is not a passport to privilege. It is a commitment to service. And we need to be discerning now while we're at college, what it means to see the idols of our age. 
the spirits that are dominating our culture. And since we're talking about the election this year, the death of American democracy because of the spiritual cancer that's eating at its heart. How dare we, as believers in the Master, take up the tools and patterns of the world and then declare that we're fighting his battles. Even if our ends are righteous, even if our goals are biblical, if our means are worldly, it becomes dust in our mouths. And we cut off the power of the Spirit to use us right at the knees. The classical confession, there is one God, there is no God but the God, and there is no rest for any people who rely on any God but God, must become our political model this year. So if you're concerned with gridlock, if you're concerned with politicians who say one thing and do another, if you're concerned about Congress who doesn't know how to stop spending, if you're concerned about a president who wants to blame others for the problems, don't see them as the enemy. It's not their problem. It's whether we're not being salt and light. When you walk into a dark room, do you curse the darkness or do you turn on the light? We're called to be light. So what must we do in a politics that suffers from the great disconnect and from the spoiled spouse syndrome? to go back and reclaim the first things of the gospel. Again, Os Guinness and John Seal have been very helpful to me in understanding these things. To realize that discipleship is not just something we do on Sundays or in prayer groups, but it becomes a lifetime apprenticeship as we walk with Christ in the, in the power of the Spirit. Return to calling, seeing that we are called and that in that calling of Christ on our lives, that becomes a compelling source for vision and discipleship and our own discipline and accountability. To return to Christ-centered thinking. That's why one of the reasons why you're here. To learn how to think about business and economics and politics and history and art and sports with the mind of Christ, not with the mind of the world. To recapture the ability to persuade. You know, in this election, with falling participation, it no longer is important to persuade people. Have you noticed that? It's the cap of a 20-year trend, still developing and unfolding. More and more resources, time, money, targeting of campaigns. Notice what's going on. It's not to reach those that are undecided and can be persuaded. It's certainly not to reach those that are already committed to the other side to try to persuade them in the righteousness and truthfulness of your cause. No. The primary effort is to mobilize the troops because in a falling participation curve, if you can get more of your people out, you have a chance of winning. You don't have to persuade anybody. You just have to mobilize the troops. And how do you mobilize troops? By standing and pointing. 
by noticing with alarm, by raising the decibels of shock and dismay and fear so that people come out and give money and will go to the polls. What does it do to a body politic when participation is now seen in terms of mobilizing your own partisans instead of dialogue, discussion, debate, and persuasion? If there is any constituency in the United States that should be fostering and learning the art of persuasion for those of us who are called to evangelize the world. Yes, the Holy Spirit convicts but we are called in our own responsibility to be persuasive in the truthfulness of the gospel. We should be salt and light, even in our public life, even for our country, in the art of persuasion. Standing against those who simply say, the only way to win is to mobilize partisans and to be as strident as you possibly can. Lastly and most importantly, return to the first things of the gospel means returning to an understanding of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God not only is a future reality, but as a present reality. The kingdom of God is God's here and now rule that orders and reorders priorities and perspectives in our world. Daniel warned Nebuchadnezzar about that. In verse 25, he finally learned a lesson. That the Most High is ruler. His kingdom rules over the kingdoms of men, over the realm of mankind. And his kingdom bestows on that human kingdom whomever, whatever he wishes. Do we really believe that? The kingdom of God is not only a future hope. It is a present reality. We now stand in a time between the now and the not yet. The kingdom of God has broken into history through Christ and now through his body in the world. That's us. Are we living like kingdom citizens? Or are we living like citizens of the world? And for this morning's discussion, when it comes to politics, when it comes to the way you argue about it, when it comes to the way that you talk about voting, are you discerning the spirits of the age? Or are you following and whoring after the idols of our world, our society? Truth and hope is present in Daniel. The truthfulness of God's reign in the world and the hope that Nebuchadnezzar has, our society has, of being able to come out of a pasture and once more find our true intended humanness, human society, for the hope that we have in the truthfulness of the gospel. So let's deal with our culture's ills. Let's not just blame other people. Quick steps. Wish I had time more to talk about what you might be able to do. Cal Thomas reminded us of this in our classroom this semester. Whenever I hear, he said, Christians complaining about those liberal Democrats, talking about how they're driving our country to ruin, first thing I ask them is, when was the last time you prayed for them? Are we praying for our leaders? 
for those that our world would blame for the problem? Are we praying for them? We're called to. We're commanded to. Pray. Prepare. Number two. Read. Talk. Discuss. Are you reading Christian literature that helps you develop a Christian worldview? Are you reading magazines, articles, books that help you put on the scriptural lenses that allow you to begin to discern what time it is in our culture and the methodologies of the kingdom as opposed to the ways of the world? So you can make distinctions and be able to see righteous public involvement as opposed to worldly ones. Prepare. Persuade. When was the last time you called a talk show? When was the last time you wrote to the editor of the newspaper to engage in public discussion and discourse? To add, try, try to add a little bit of Christian perspective, a little bit of Christian insight into the public discussion. Pray. Prepare. Persuade. Let's learn the tools of persuasion so that the Holy Spirit can use us. Brothers and sisters, fundamentally, we're talking about worship. Worship is giving our lives as living sacrifices to the service of God. So let's worship by praying, by preparing, by persuading, and then we'll leave the results to Christ. Let's worship. Let's go to work for his kingdom. Let's pray. Master, we acknowledge that we are your people. And we acknowledge that we desire to be the salt and light that you have told us that we are in the world. Help us to have your mind. Grant to us discernment that we might turn away from the idols that are gripping our society and culture. Give us this discernment to know, to leave behind the ways of the world, even in politics, even in elections, and to seek the truthfulness and the hope of the gospel even in public life. Grant to us that, by your Holy Spirit, we might become your witnesses to our country. And we then will look to you for not only our own salvation, but if you desire it, the salvation of our land.